I feel like filmmaking has so much in common with with building, uh, with architecture and construction. And if you don't have good plans and solid engineering plans for a building, like you're going to have some problems. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In today's episode, a film executive named Violet realizes that she has spent years letting fear drive her every decision in director Justine Bateman's new drama, Violet. Seeking to regain control over her life, Violet must learn to silence her relentlessly negative inner thoughts to live life how she wants. Violet is Ms. Bateman's feature directorial debut. Her other directorial credits include the television documentary, Speechless, and the short films, Five Minutes and Push. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Bateman gives insight into the making of Violet with fellow director Aaron Schneider. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Uh, congratulations on a bold and very unique directorial debut. I Thank saw you. the film, of course, and I just loved it. I I was most I was most compelled by the idea that what drives the narrative is a really, really internal journey, right? The, getting past uh, the self, the, the the barriers of self consciousness and that inner voice. Talk a little bit about the challenges of making a movie about such a such an internal kind of struggle as opposed to something super plot driven i mean what interests me as a filmmaker are are like the little earthquakes that i mean the little things in our life that are big earthquakes like there are things that you can't come back from like the first time you steal something or you lose your virginity or you this and and i feel like films often if they're focusing on some earthquake in someone's life, they're focusing on like something massive, like, uh, you know, your mate dies or, or, you know, someone is killed or, but I think there's all these smaller earthquakes that are quite profound in someone's life. So I'm interested in, in splitting those open and, and sort of butterflying them and looking at them like that. So um, yeah, I wanted to make this as immersive a, an experience as possible, so that's why I use so many um, audio and visual elements. Um, Talk a little bit that, about that. How, okay. Tell us about the evolution of the inner voice and the... I mean, I found myself actually uh, emotionally engaged with the reveal of that text that you set mm. up and paid off, the I am crossing oh, the line. Yeah. I actually... When I saw the next evolution of that text, as you laid it out, I actually, there was suspense in, in getting there for me in the text itself. So talk about how that came about and how, like, how do you, once you come up with that idea, obviously it's malleable in post-production and the options are infinite. How did you, when you sat down to decide how you wanted to express yourself that way and tell the story that, how did you begin? How did you go about deciding what that would be? Right. Well, in the script, I, I already had the, the, the voice talking and I already had the red wash and I already had the, the violent uh, imagery that represents the violence that those negative thoughts have that, you know, we like shrug off, like just say like, oh, I'm just hard on myself. And I wanted to illustrate like, no, every time you think it's a paper cut, but it's really, it's, it's 
creating a cut in you and you have enough cuts in the same spot and you'll create a gouge and that gouge becomes a groove on a record player that now you think that's part of your personality. And it was when I was at what should have been my final cut that I realized I didn't, I, I didn't have, it wasn't up to my standards. I just didn't feel like I had it. And honestly, I thought, well, um, I'll just fire sale this to a streamer, I guess, or something. I was like, <laughs> and people will forget that this was my first film. And like my next film will be like her first film. And then they'll say, do you know there was this other film she did before that? Because <laughs> it just wasn't, it wasn't right. I, for me, I, I, when I do a project, uh, you know, a book or film or, or even just writing the script, I feel like I've got to have a thesis statement and everything's got to, um, everything in the project has to support that, reflect that, prove that, whatever. And I, I hadn't done it. And I was like, Shit. You shouldn't be too hard on yourself because no, I think I'd, any I'd, director <laughs> in this room will tell you that there's nothing more... <laughs> uh, heartbreaking than watching the, the the first cut of your movie and right. feeling all those things that it isn't yet. It well, yeah, it wasn't. And I and I thought, okay, let's just let's just boil lights like let's really get specific about you know to myself saying let's get specific about what you think you're missing. And I need and I was missing that constant pressure on her by the voice because I did I only had it in there like fifty percent in the script, so. And I realized that once he lets up on her, the film's over. So I said, okay. And luckily I hadn't recorded Justin yet. So I, I wrote twice as much. And, uh, and so a lot of what she, it's funny, um, some of the reviews like, oh, the way she reacts to the voice in that scene. And I'm like, that's interesting. That's called the Kuleshev effect. <laughs> you, you think your brain's putting this Connecting. thing together. Um, but we actually didn't have the voice talking in that particular scene you're referencing. Okay, so put that and that and that work to bring that to create that pressure on her throughout the film. And then I was like, okay, this other thing I'm missing, I'm missing this passionate um, desperation to get out of this situation. And I'm like, oh. and was the red was the burn to red? Red was already you there from the start. That was already there. Because I and thought that, was, that was, was really compelling. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's just that. Uh, I'm zoning out. I'm black. I'm going away. I'm not here anymore. <laughs> so I wanted you know something to illustrate that. But then, um, yeah, I was like, how am I going to get that in the film? What am I going to do? And then I remember being on the freeway driving, and I was like, I was like, you know what I'm missing? I'm missing, because I had made notes, like, you know, the subtext of all the different characters and everything. And I was like, I was like, I'll write that on the screen. I'll just write what I wrote. I'll just hand write it on the screen. Because to me, um, filmmaking is like collage making. And I've, with some of my fate. Like, well, all my favorite films are, um, not to sound pretentious, but like are, you know, uh, filmmakers from, uh, uh, European filmmakers from the 60s and 70s and um, experimental film. And, and I, because I'm most interested in, you know, all these great filmmakers have, have brought us to here. And I'm like, okay, in what way can I move it down the field? Right. Like all these different um, ingredients I know about now, you know, with editing and using sound and using music and all this. And then also like all the things I've ever learned in Photoshop, like what can I bring <laughs> into this film to drive home that thesis statement? I, and it, and it worked. It created this, this sort of lava river, underground lava river, you know, beneath, um, the film. I, it, it, it sent home for me the, um, I felt like I had, I had 
it had clicked in for me and I was like, okay, now it's ready. Now I don't, now I don't feel like I have to fire sale it. Well, there's not a filmmaker or writer who's sat down to adapt a book, for example, that hasn't gotten to the chapter where, uh, there's the internal thoughts. Everyone talks about uh -huh. how a novel has the ability to go inside a character's head yeah. in a way that a film doesn't because you can actually read the thoughts in the novel, but you can't in the film. So I would call that a very clever way of bring, bringing a literary device yeah. to the movie screen. So, And the interesting thing is when you have a shot, I mean, you know, this is obvious. I mean, it's been used in advertising so much and, and in politics. Um, but when you look at somebody or, or uh, uh, some, someone or something and you write something underneath it, the brain will couple the two. And it's very difficult for it to decouple that pairing. So if you, you know, if somebody shows a picture in the media of a man and says, it says pedophile underneath and your brain will go, yeah, I see it. Look at that. Look in their eyes. And then they go, oh, I'm sorry. That was the wrong person. No, no. This is actually a teacher that won an award last year. And you're like, really? Because your brain's already done this thing, you know? So that was an interesting thing about, yeah, putting that subtext under there. Okay, so this was your feature debut, and uh, so I want to ask some questions, because, uh, you know, I had a similar low-budget feature debut, and I learned a lot from it, so I want to ask you some very, for, and maybe for some of the new or younger or aspiring filmmakers out, or directors out there, I want to ask you some first-time director questions, okay? Great, great. Uh, my first question is, um, what did what was the main takeaway from your experience making your first film that you wish you could go back and tell yourself before you started shooting? Is there anything after this first experience you that wished I can you say knew publicly that you wished you knew before about the filmmaking process, about the whole the process itself? Make a connection with a with a lab before <laughs> before you start. Um, Get a post-production supervisor. Otherwise, you'll be doing deliverables all by yourself. Okay. Um, <laughs> get a music supervisor, or you will be doing that all by yourself. <laughs> but, you know, it's great. Now I know how to music supervise. Now I know how to do deliverables. If you Why? need someone because you to, had do, to do it yourself? Because I did it myself. If you need someone to do deliverables, I can do that. Okay. So Seriously. There's a lot of talk thrown around about the word vision. Director has a vision, right? Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Um, but I even like someone like David Fincher, we'll talk about as, as visionary as they come, we'll get up here and talk about how filmmaking is chaos and you're lucky to get 10% of what you're actually after, which is hard to believe watching a film like his. Uh, but so my question is, when you look at the film now, how much of the film do you think, how much of what's up there is what you were after and what percentage of it surprised even you? Well, I talked about, you know, adding that writing. Um, I didn't know I was going to be doing that, uh, which was terrific. But I'd say this, like, for me, um, I like the, the creative chaos, too. But I like having good architectural design underneath it. Like, I think, like, if you have, I mean, any director knows, like, if you have a script that doesn't have a good structure, like, you're a little bit you know, you just can't, it's like, I, it's really, there's so much in, in um, I feel like filmmaking has so much in common with, um, with building, uh, with architecture and construction. And yeah, if you don't have good plans and solid engineering uh, 
plans for a building, like you're gonna have some problems. Um, so for me, I like to, uh, yeah, have feel like I have a solid script, which is, you know, my responsibility if I've written the script. But then also I like to really understand why any of the scenes are in the, in the script or in the film. Why are any of the characters in there? Why is that character wearing that? Why is that chair there? I, I feel like if I, I, I mean, again, I, I don't know if, this, if I risk sounding pretentious, but if I can't explain wh why each one of these things is in there, why, why is Red's house, why does Red's house look like that? Why does Tom Gaines have that kind of office building? If I can't explain that, then I need to, I need to understand it or I need to get rid of it. So I say that to say, once I understand why everything is in there, then I'll give you an example. Then, then nothing really, I am accomplishing everything. I know why the scene is there. I know what the characters need to accomplish. How they're going to accomplish, I don't know. But there might be 50 ways to get to, you know, first in Maine. Right. But I know first in Maine is where we need to go. And maybe that comes from having an acting background where I know where I need to get by the end of the scene. And there's a bunch of different ways to get there. So as a director, like, I know what I want to accomplish in the scene. So I don't feel, I, I feel like I got 100% of what I wanted because I wasn't so, I wasn't married to how getting there was going to look. I just knew I needed to get to the particular destination. You know what I mean? And, right. and I was open to like, if that means getting there on a bicycle or by car or by bus, like it doesn't matter to me, but I, you know, yeah. Right. And everybody's journey to the director's chair is always so unique. And as you just mentioned, for those of you too uh, young maybe to remember must-see TV, <laughs> Justine was the star of one of the biggest 80s sitcoms in history. You, I think you went from 80s television star to student, right? Uh, computer science. Well, yeah, there were the years in between there where I did, you know, TV movie after sure. TV movie, of course. And, um. and, and, then, and then eventually, <laughs> here you are. So my question yeah. is, um, at what point in that journey did that little voice start saying, I have ideas and I want to be a well, filmmaker? I mean, the funny thing is, is like, um, yeah, it looks like there was some sort of jump. But really, I'd wanted to direct since I was 19. And I'd always written, you know, when I was younger, I wrote like, you know, poems and short stories and stuff like that. So I've, and I'd always made, I'd always written and always made collages. So now, you know, of course, in retrospect, it's easy to put things together. But now I look at it and go, oh, of course. So as a director, I'm a collage maker. And as, you know, and then I'm writing. But yeah, I'd wanted to direct that long. But for me, timing is always a really big component. And if I feel like, I feel like if I don't wait for the timing, I'm just going to make a, well, I've proven that to myself. When I haven't waited for timing on certain things, I just make a pile of stuff like writing. I have to wait till it's, I have to like think about it for a while. And then when it's ready to come out of the oven, the writing comes pretty easily. But I think it's because I wait and I think about it long enough. And then with directing, the timing just wasn't there. And I many, many times I was like, oh, God, please, please, please don't let me be on my deathbed going, oh, no, but I didn't I didn't ever direct anything. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't. I, I want to make sure that I hadn't yet directed because of any fears, you know? I mean, I, I felt it was timing, but I was always checking myself, like, am I, is it not happening yet because I'm afraid? I didn't want that to ever be a reason. Anyway, after I graduated from college at 50, um, I thought I was going to, yeah, I went from 46 to 50. Um, I thought um, I, I thought I was going to get, like, a, an executive job 
where I combined tech and entertainment because I got a computer science degree. And, um, but then I felt the timing for directing happen. I was like, oh, great, okay. And what did that look and feel like? What was it? It just felt like, I don't know, it felt like, I don't know, being in a hall enough times and the doors always close, the doors always close, the doors always close, and you just get used to being at clo- it being closed. And then one day you walk by it and the doors open, and you're like, oh, shit. Let's go. I don't know how else to describe it. And and then I was like, okay. And then I did the two shorts and then raised money for, you know, for this film. And now I'm like, right. It's like, it's, it's a cycle. You do that. And then oh, I'm right back to square one yeah, again. You gotta do it now all I got to raise money for my next film. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> you pull off what some would call a miracle. You made an independent film in, in a, in a, in an industry that's like, you know, constantly changing and evolving towards a streaming world where, you know, the streamers are kind of taking over the independent feature film world. Um, it's getting harder and harder. Where do you see yourself in that, in this evolving industry? Do you want to, do you want to continue raising, you know, your own money and doing your own thing? Or do you see yourself, uh, like, can you imagine ever uh, directing a, a, a major studio film? Or what is, what is your passion for, for your own future? Um, I'll say this. I don't want to make films that you can multitask to. So <laughs> I know, and whatever that means. Like, if that means I never work for a company that makes content you can multitask to, then that, I guess, is the way it will go. But if somebody wants, I mean, I feel like part of my job is to, like, hold your interest, and I hope I did, for 90 to ninety to 120 minutes. Um, I mean, if you can multitask to, to anything I've made, then uh, I, I've blown it. I, I've, you know, you shouldn't be able to walk, you shouldn't be able to look away for 20 minutes and then come back and, ha- and not having missed anything. Right. You know, like what were those tw- those twenty minutes should have been snipped then? If you could look away and and you're not lost when you come back, or you, you know, or like the you feel like the 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 tone and the theme is totally intact and you miss twenty minutes. So whatever that means, you know, um, I don't. I'm not. I'm, I'm not adverse to working for studios at all. I mean, I, you know, any anywhere somebody wants to pay for something how do I put this I always want to be making something hopefully that is unique like I said earlier like moving the ball down the field in filmmaking like there's I don't know there's there's so many interesting ways we can go in this effort to um, solidify um, an emotional connection for the audience right and I'm I'm really interested in what ingredients can we could we can we use is it the music? Is it the is it the editing? Is it the um, are can we layer stuff? You know, like oh my god, I love Getty Images. You know, video library. Like, did you see all my stock footage? Huh? Do you see the end titles? That I'm seriously anybody like make have, have a relationship with Getty Images because like that end title sequence that was me. Just like that's just stock footage that I that I that I uh, mirrored. It looks cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> how about how about certain kinds of stories? Are you do you find yourself 
yearning for to tell a, a different kind of story? Is there a category of story, or is it just? Well, I I absolutely love uh, I love black comedy um, satire, and I love avant garde um, uh, avant garde drama. I mean, I've realized like those are my t- I mean those are the two my two favorite. Were films, there any kinds influences? Were there any movies that you, oh, you could well, say yeah. were influences I mean, on Violet? Oh, on Violet specifically, yeah. yeah. Have you guys ever seen Revanche? It's a, um, I think it's an Austrian, uh, Goat Spielman. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. Directed it. It's beautiful. Oh my god, that film we referenced the most has so many fantastic locked off shots and also like a fantastic story and twist. And it's it's an outstanding film. Yeah. Okay. I would say that. I would say high art. I would say. Um, even like Days of Heaven, just because I was like, I want her exterior life to seem as honey drenched as possible because her insides don't match the outsides. And I'm not saying we tried to make it look like Days of Heaven. I'm just saying, you know, um, that was one thing, you know, because so much of that lighting, you know, definitely when I was doing the color, like I was wanting to get, you know, that kind of richness. So it just be subliminal. What were some of the conversations you had with your cinematographer in that regard? okay, we wanted to do this at Red's house. And the reason that particular house was chosen, and I have a funny story about getting that house, um, but Red's house, I wanted it to be sort of the hive of, of peacefulness, of to really, um, in, a, in a very uh, uh, encompass, encompassing way, to be that calmness that Red has, that confidence that Red has. So when she's in that house, she's sort of in that hive, and um, so that was that house. I, uh, and so in that house, we had as many locked off shots as we could to maintain that stillness. Stability. Yeah. Um, that was one thing we did. Um, and then when the voice is really on her, you know, having, having the camera being a little bit more erratic and, you know, and some of these things are more obvious or maybe they're just absorbed subliminally. I mean, I'm really into like, I love metaphors and, and just giving the audience things that they can absorb subliminally. And, uh, yeah, like I'd like to start experimenting with, um, with, uh, the background actors in, in my future films with dressing them all in a particular way or having them all like, what if, what if you had a scene where you wanted the audience to feel somehow like there's going to be an injury or something doesn't feel very safe or whatever. But the two people are having dinner in a restaurant and like nothing especially is happening that would cause you to think that. But then what if each of the background actors had some sort of, each had some sort of injury, you know, and like maybe some person just has a bandaid and someone else has, you know, you just have one person with crutches, not a bunch of people or anything. But, you know, you just have enough things in there. One person's limping as they leave. And not so obvious, but just enough that you would subliminally absorb that, like, things are not in equilibrium. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in, you know, anyway, just one little example of... And, yeah. and here's, a, here's a question that just came to me. Wait, I, but to answer your question about what kinds of films to do, no matter what type of film it is, I always want to find, like... What it, what is it a what is it about the human experience that that we want to like showcase and I mean that sounds so cliche but I really want to get to like what are we actually talking about here what are these people really going through and everything they're doing physically can maybe just be a metaphor for that 
for that sort of life experience or that sort of emotional experience they're having. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I think that, you know, there, there's direct reference. I know in my own experience, there's direct reference. There's visuals you can share with a cinematographer. And then there's just feelings. Uh, because at the end of the day, yeah. the cinematographer looks through a camera and makes begins to make choices. They're coming from, you know, here. Yeah. So if you're connected with somebody here, yeah. ideally it finds its way, you know, through the person, the artist, you know, and into the, through the lens and from the lights. So it's kind of a half organic and half kind of literal uh, creative process. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I used a lot of photos for reference and, you know, Mark Williams and the cinematographer and I are, are very close and, uh, you know, I'll find, you know, find a couple of weeks ago, I found some photo that had some really cool lighting. I was like, oh, this would be cool in something to, you know, not just for the sake of it, but like in order to illustrate whatever, you know, it has to be intentional. I, I forgot to ask, I had a simple question, like, a, uh, why did you choose a masculine voice for the committee? Oh, sure. Well, years ago, and the reason I wrote this, the script, um, uh, I made a lot of fear-based decisions and I admired um, and envied, lusted after a life that was not like that. And and people, you know, I knew people that weren't like that. Or I'd read biographies about people that didn't seem to be like that, like Tallulah Bankhead and people like that. And when I realized that I could actually transition from a person that made fear-based decisions to a person who was making instinct-based decisions, I didn't, I, I didn't know you could cross that bridge. One of the one of the things I did that um, was made a big difference for me in in making that transition and, and crossing over was to pretend, just as an experiment, that those voices were coming from some that that voice was coming from someone else. In other words, if I say to myself, this is an example I always use, "Don't wear that shirt to the party, or no one's going to talk to you." There's a certain validity I'm giving it because it's from me, and I I assume that you know this is coming from my experience somewhere, but. You know, I'm not sure where, but I'm just, I'm going to listen to it. But if you said it to me instead, I might ask questions. I might ask you, oh, what do you know about the dress code? Or, um, you know, why have you been to these people's houses before and, and they don't like red shirts or whatever it is? Um, so that made a big difference for me. It, it enabled me to look at these thoughts uh, objectively and see that they were lies. It's a question that voices uh, authenticity. Yes. So... I wanted to give that to the audience in making the voice as different from Olivia's as possible. Change the gender, change the tone, change, hopefully it was evident in here, change the placement uh, in the speakers when we were doing the the sound design. Um, so that, yeah, even if it didn't seem obvious to them, like maybe we would just go in them as if it's something else and then they could get some objectivity on their own uh, fearful thoughts. All right, well, I'm being told that we need to wrap it up. Okay. Um, uh, and I also was told, by the way, I'm, uh, that it's not a Q&A for the audience, but like, how about just to put a pin on the whole thing? Yeah. We, we throw the rule away and take one yeah, let's question from the audience. Okay. Anybody? There you go. Funny, funny, <laughs> Are you funny, a plant? <laughs> they, he wants to hear the um, funny story about the house location. Uh, okay. Uh, funny story about the house location. And you might find this useful, actually, if you ever want to shoot in this town. In this particular town, um, I'm about to mention. So this this house I really liked is in the city of West Covina, and um, I had two location uh, managers in on this uh, particular issue. We could only get a permit for three days, and I needed 
you know, that's like set up, shoot sh- and, and break it down. Well, that's not useful. Cause I need it for like eight days. So they couldn't, they couldn't get them to budge. And I would started looking at other houses and nothing was really, um, nothing could match this house. This is a Neutra. So I, um, I thought, okay, well, I've got one Hail Mary. Um, I'll go buy a box of donuts. I'll go buy a dozen donuts and I'll go down to the city planning office in, uh, in, uh, West Covina and just be like, Hey, hi, I got you some donuts. Like, you know, is there any way you guys can, uh, just get do, you know, just let us have a, a waiver here or something. So we talked and talked and, and, um, and they said, all right, well, I think we'll be able to like allow you to present to the city council and see if they'll give grant you a waiver. And I was like, oh, okay, this is great. And I said, well, Hey, I'm just curious. Like, why do you guys have this rule? And they're like, it's been our rule for 20 years. And I said, okay, but you know, I said, they said, well, none of us really know exactly what happened because none of us were working here at the time. And by the way, I did go to, we did, me and the location manager did do the city council presentation. We brought more baked goods because, you know, you got a good thing going, like keep it going. But so I said, so what, what happened 20 years ago? And they said, well, there was a, a film shooting here called Good Burger and something happened. And I said, well, what? They're like, none of us were here. We don't know. So I still this day don't know what Good Burger, the film, did to cause, I'm sure the city council said, we must, you know, this is my theory, we must call an emergency meeting and discuss the fact that we will never, ever have a film shoot in our town again. So I've yet to figure out what happened. It's funny. <laughs> uh, weirdly, when I, I, when I was a What, did you shoot there? I was a cinematographer. You were the cinematographer no, on the film? No, no, no. I, I was, I interviewed for the job to shoot Good, good No, you burger. didn't. Absolutely. Oh, you say, I, you didn't tell me that before. You saved that was, for tonight. I have a friend who was a camera operator on it, so I could probably get oh, the Oh, will answer. you find out for me? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Um, and I, I want to say before we close that uh, a big thanks to one of my fellow producers, he's a DGA member too, um, Michael D. Jones, because uh, the other producers, uh, uh, fellow producers I was working with before this said that they didn't have the budget to make this a DGA film. And then they moved on to another project and then Michael came on and he's like, he's like such a can do guy. He's like, of course we can. <laughs> and at this point we had cut the budget in half too. So he's like, of course we can. And I was like, really, really? Could I become DGA? And he's like, it's done. So, um, screening in this theater and having you all come, I got to tell you, this is like an absolute like dream. And I'm uh, becoming a DJ member is just such an honor. I'm just so um, happy about that. And she was so excited waiting in the wings to come out here and do this. Uh, 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 <laughs> congratulations and uh, best of Thank luck. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 